Hey everyone, welcome to the newest edition of Modern Musicology. Uh, I'm Rob. I am in the uh, the dreaded uh, boss chair today, and uh, today we are talking about books uh, on a music podcast. I know it's crazy, but the impetus for this was that you know for two years we've all been stuck inside the house reading, and for the three of us, the idea of sitting at home, sitting at home just listening to music had to be expanded. And there was there's just been a deluge of books about music. So we thought we'd talk about our favorite music books, fiction, fact, biographies, oral histories, comic books, everything music-related in books uh, on this edition. I am joined by Mr. Alan Seiler. Hello, sir. How's it going? Uh, Alan has uh, Cosmic Press, his empire of publishing. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I, it's a thing I started a few couple of years ago, and got a few Doctor Who books, published a couple of books by some other authors, and everyone should check it out. And also here is the uh, illustrious Anthony Williams. Would you like to talk about your podcast and your life such and such things, sir? Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, so yes, uh, I'm on a Doctor Who podcast called Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. We are making our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. Uh, we are somewhere in the John Pertwee era by the time this goes out, probably about halfway through. And uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, et cetera, et cetera, all the places where you can find most podcasts. Um, so do check us out. That's Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. And uh, Anthony is thrilled because uh, this week the British to American ratio is now even, as we are very proud to welcome uh, Mr. Nick Griffiths uh, from the mean streets of Cornwall coming to us live. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. And the streets are very, very mean down there. Um, so first of all, I want to apologize. We didn't send you a gift package for being our first guest on our podcast, but we do want to thank you uh, so much for doing this and, and for coming on and uh, arranging your busy schedule. Uh, Nick has a brand new book out called Dead Star. Who the hell was Garth Tyson, um, which has just been a hoot to read. And I know it's a labor of love for you. He also has written the very excellent uh, Dalek I Loved You of both pop music and uh, Daleks. That's the book for you. And he's got a couple other books as well that we can let him talk about. But Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm delighted to be here. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, can we talk about Dead Star a little bit before we jump into our full-on discussion? Love to. So um, can you kind of talk about how the book came about? Um, well, I'd finished reading David Bowie, A Life uh, by Dylan Jones. I'm a massive Bowie fan. Uh, and I love an oral history. And when I finished that, I thought, why don't I write an oral history? Because it kind of cuts out all that descriptive stuff that is really tricky to write. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm more a fan of commercial fiction than literary fiction. Um, I'm not too worried about long, flowery descriptive passages. So writing oral history just cut all that out and turned it into a screenplay, more or less, you know, dialogue, which I love writing. I think it's probably one of my strengths. Um, uh, obviously, <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't do David Bowie now because he's not around, sadly. Um, so I, I basically just had to make the whole thing up. Um, so it started with an idea. And then I'm a, I'm a kind of music bookaholic. I've, I've read just hundreds. Um, so this this kind of idea formed, I, I based it in my favourite era, which was kind of um, post-punk, punk, post-punk, new wave, that, that whole era, which I think was the most fertile and imaginative and brilliant in modern music history um, and, and a, a story just started to appear 
Uh, my blueprint that I really wanted, I mean, if you're going to write a sort of screenplay type book you, you, uh, about music, you've got to be thinking about Spinal Tap, I think. So um, that was my plan, really, to, to write a kind of new wave Spinal Tap. And that's kind of what I thought about, too, when I was digging into it. I'm like, did he just nick Spinal Tap? Um, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you, too, about how long it took you to write from, you know, when you got the idea to when it, you know, got tinkered with and, and things. Well, having written a few books before, I'm kind of aware of the pitfalls. They can take ages if you let them take ages. So I set myself, I kind of wrote a little spreadsheet down that, that I think at the start I was trying to do um, 500 words a day. And I would, I would set myself up for Monday to uh, Friday. And then if I hadn't hit my targets, I'd work over the weekend to catch up. Um, so the first draft, which was quite short, actually, it was about, it was under 60,000. And it's now near 80,000. But um, yeah, the first draft took less than three months. But then it's this is that was two years ago. So it's gone through a lot of rewrites since. And uh, where can people get the book if they would like to buy it? Because I know it's a little tricky to walk into an American shop and buy it, but you are more than welcome to find it online in a couple other places. Can you kind of tell us where we can buy the book? Yeah, I mean, um, it's the, the most obvious place, unfortunately, is Amazon. That they um, they're rather good at selling books. Um, you can get it in ebook and uh, on paperback. Um, but if, also, if you Google, I'm pretty sure it's in Barnes and Noble and a few places like that in America. So just Google Death Down at Griffiths, and you'll find a copy somewhere. So Nick, I, uh, I noticed that you're running a really interesting contest on your website. So yeah. talk a little bit about that because I, I might enter. Oh, brilliant. Um, so while I was writing it, I, kind of, I found myself thinking of lines from the film Withnail and I a lot because I'm a, an absolute Withnail addict. And I had to actually physically <laughs> stop myself from doing so. You can't do that. That's from Withnail, mate. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that kept creeping in was, was David Bowie stuff. Um, and I think I, I, I just had Garth Tyson, because Garth Tyson, my hero of my book, is a massive Bowie fan. Um, he says a few things that are basically Bowie lyrics. Uh, and then I thought, why don't I actually plant 10 short David Bowie lyrics within the text? And um, what I also did <laughs> after finishing the book, uh, uh, up the road, one of my neighbours is Mel Garside, who used to be in Tabitha Zoo and a few bands like that. Mm -hmm. And I asked her if she could help me recreate one of the songs in the book. So Garth Tyson's band Speed of Life in 1979 released a single called Regan and Carter. I don't know if you're familiar with the Sweeney. It might be just a very British yep. thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I wrote about Regan and Carter in the book. I, I gave it lyrics. I said what it sounded like. I said it had a Simblom intro, <laughs> which is that uh, ding, 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 ding from the Persuaders. Uh, and then Mel <laughs> had to use that as a blueprint to create um, uh, Regan and Carter as an actual single. So we did that. And it was amazing hearing, you know, what I'd just written about without any thought to it ever being recorded uh, in her little studio. So then I was so chuffed. I got 10 pitch discs, seven inch pitch discs printed. And uh, the number one of the, my limited edition of 10 is the prize for anyone who can find all 10 lyrics. <laughs> nice. Sorry, that was a bit long winded. <laughs> no, no, no. So have you gotten any entrance yet? No, I've had, I've had quite a lot of people buy the book with a view to entering. I think it might be, some of them are quite tricky, actually. <laughs> well, I, I predict that I will be able to get all 10 because I'm Brilliant. quite a Bowie file. So, yeah, excellent. And before we move on, just a, a word for any of our American listeners, listeners who want to understand the reference to the Sweeney. 
uh, the entire show is available to watch on BritBox. And it's a wonderful 1970s uh, police procedural. Uh, it's quite gritty um, with John Thor and Dennis Waterman in the lead roles. Very, very entertaining. And I highly recommend it. It was, of course, the kind of basis for um, Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes. Yeah. Mm. People know of that. That's kind of where the mm -hmm. uh, Gene Hunt character came from. So, Nick, I did sort of a similar thing. I have a, a children's picture book that I wrote. It's called Lucy Can't Dance. And it was inspired by the Bowie song of the same name. And uh, I, I sprinkled little Bowie references, which kids will never get, but their parents <laughs> might, uh, both in the text and in the images in the in the in the book. So so I should have thought of running a contest. I didn't it didn't occur to me. I'm glad you're doing it. Go back now and run one. <laughs> <laughs> so jump, jumping back in and we'll start with you, Nick, because you're, you're the guest. Um, what do you think makes a good book about music, whether it's fiction or biography or either way? Well, I had a bit of trouble with this one because the, the, the next question, not to give too many spoilers away, is um, what do you think makes a good um, music biography? Um, I actually Googled fiction music books to see which ones I read, and the answer was none. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm yeah. not an expert on um, music fiction. So, um, I mean, for me, so I've read tons and tons of biographies of like artists and bands, and, and I made a few notes. I put cracking story, brutal honesty, entertaining writer, and no fear of upsetting people. Mm. If, and if they're worried about yeah. upsetting people, then I don't want to read their book. <laughs> and I think the I think the upsetting people is the key bit. Yeah. But a lot of because a lot of the ones you read, people are tap dancing around it. Or the other thing too for me is setting up a context where like so many people will write about this happened to me here, here, and here. It's like, did you mention you were living in Los Angeles? Did you, you know, mention the, you know, the back, you know, the time and the context of it? Um, I think that's really important too to set the table. Well, it's like, I, I, um, actually, I didn't buy the book, but I, I listened to um, Lowell Tolhurst, who has a very yeah. bad voice. <laughs> oh, wow. Mate, lighten up. Um, his book, which could have been brilliant. I mean, The Cure, there was so much stuff going on in there. But I felt by the time I'd finished that, I didn't know any more about The Cure than I did already. There was a couple of reasonable anecdotes. And that's kind of, you know, if that had been written with the brutal honesty and no fear of upsetting people, that would have, could have been a fantastic book. But unfortunately... It didn't hit the mark for me. Mm. I tell you, uh, one of my criteria is, and and this applies to any any number of types of books, um, is as long as the details are right. And the reason I, I say that is because I haven't read any, as far as I can remember, I haven't read any fictional music books either. Um, but I remember a short story that I read one time. It was in a horror anthology, and it was about this person who was conjuring like i don't know spirits or demons or whatever uh from playing timpani and it was a, it was a really strange story and it was like this person who had a timpani nobody owns their own timpani unless you're in a you know major symphony but she had this timpani and she would like play it and and um you know the 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 writer was describing how she was not only playing like intricate rhythms and melodies which melody is really hard to do on a timpani you've got the pedal that changes pitch but you can't do it in so quickly or accurately that you're going to be able to play an actual melody but also described how and and in detail described how the girl was playing the timpani hitting right in the dead center of 
the head of the timpani. And it's called the dead center for a reason. It is literally a dead spot. You play a timpani like halfway between the, the, the middle and the edge. That's the sweet spot. So the fact that this girl kept playing this timpani in the dead center just drove me nuts. And I couldn't, I couldn't even see the rest of the story because all I could see was this girl playing like, you know, muted notes and, and toneless thumps because she was playing in the wrong spot. <laughs> so it invalidated the whole story for me. Yeah, it's always amazing how those little details can really throw something off. So there's got to be a level of accuracy on things like that. Um <clears throat> I agree with Nick. The brutal honesty piece is really important yep. for me, particularly in a biography or, or an autobiography. Um, yep. A few years back, both uh, Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath and Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, and a ton of other bands basically released their autobiographies within a few months of each other. And neither of them pulled any punches. I mean, Glenn talked a lot about his own history of drug abuse and how he nearly died and was, you know, eventually got sober and, and his whole story with that, which I found really inspiring because he was, mm -hmm. you know, this close to, lo to losing his life and this close to losing everything he had in life as well through, you know, throwing his money away. Whereas Tony Iommi with, you know, a band like Black Sabbath that's had a huge amount of turnover over the years Again, he pulled no punches in criticizing members of the band. I mean, he he went as far as to say Tony Martin, great voice, terrible showman. And I was like, mm. wow, that's yeah. brutal. Yeah. Um, which Tony Martin has called him out on in recent years. Now they're talking again. Um, but that brutal honesty aspect combined with someone who has a kind of good storytelling voice, if you kind of know what I mean, yep. really for me makes a good music autobiography mm -hmm. yeah i think i am fully in, in in the camp of brutal honesty but i also want it to not meander i've read a couple where they just go on and on and on and the lol tall horse tall horse book i was spared uh because i was gonna buy it and i think nick i think you're the one that warned me off of it i saved you um <laughs> Uh, you know, and I was I was listening to you know Lol Tolhurst kid has a band. I was listening to his band, his kid's band CD. I was like, oh, I need to read his book. And I was in the process of explaining to Nick, like, oh God, no. But I think, you know, I want the narrative to be done too. I want it to be. I mean, I don't mind if it's out of chronological order, and I don't mind if it's kind of like these are memories I'm not quite sure I remember. But I want them to be brutally honest. I want it to have like some context I want to flow. And I think like the flow and the pace of the book is also really important. Yeah. So um, Nick, you have, you mentioned that your book's uh, an oral history and there's a lot of sort of oral histories. Like I've been, uh, the biggest thing that I, I read lately was the John Savage oral history of joy division. And then, you know, John Robb's got some oral history stuff out uh, as well. Do you guys prefer your music books to be an oral history or do you want a straight, you know, biography or autobiography or does it actually really matter? Well, yeah, as, as I said, I, I, I love the oral history format. It's, um, you can dip in and out of it really easy. But you also get really kind of um, unexpurgated, um, just the voices of the people who were there. Mm -hmm. it's just bang, 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 fact, um, opinion <laughs> and, and morsels of tidbit. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've read all those um oral histories you mentioned i picked up an amazing um follow the music um jack holzman and electra records it's a beautiful book i, I mm -hmm. can't remember where i found that but um uh, and of course the one the, the classic oral histories please kill me um 
the New York punk one, which is just utterly fantastic. I've read that, I think, three or four times. And I, also that uh, our band is could be your life, too, is also really good if you're looking for, like, the American counterpart of it as well. But I think oral histories are interesting because I think they capture more of the sense of the moment than a straight biography does. And I think it gives the writer a little more room to breathe in telling the story. Uh, I could be wrong because I've obviously not written a music biography. But um, yeah, to me, it just seems like you have more room to breathe. And you know, one of the things about Dead Star, too, is it seems like the format for it really allows you to do some richness with the characters and sort of flesh out the story a little bit more in an interesting way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I, if I sort of tried to write it as a, you know, a prose work, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's hard to say because I, I didn't do it. But I, yeah, I don't think you'd kind of de get the depth of character because you can give so much away just by, you know, how people speak, the tone of voice, mm -hmm. the sort of things they say, uh, the honesty, you know, that, that they have with it. I, I just love an oral history, basically. Yeah. You, I, I did, that was, sorry. Um, there's that one, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Has anyone read that? Oh, one? oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it. And I, I, didn't, I, I didn't love the, my issues with it were one, there's two or three things in the book that I was actually there for because I was in New York. And there's oh, two, yeah. and one of the incidents I actually was like at when it happened. So we could talk about that later. But um, I think that there are sections of the book that I really lo loved in terms of like, you get all this information on the yeah, yeah, yeahs and the strokes and a lot of those bands. But there are some that are in there that he doesn't really go anywhere with and he can get rid of. But having said that, the, the biggest thing I love about the book is that it is, and we're talking about Meet Me in the Bathroom, is it is the, so far, the only book I can really find on that sort of era of New York sleaze rock. And that for me is really important to have that record. So even though some of his choices are kind of off kilter and he bounces around a little too much, I think it's an important narrative of that time and of those bands and of that scene, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think oral history is a much more interesting medium. Um, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of commentary that most of us haven't read much music fiction, but I saw Nick, your book has been compared a little bit to Daisy Jones and the Six. And when I read that, I I could visualize it as a documentary and was really interested to see uh, that it's been picked up to be made into a miniseries and they're going to film it in that documentary style. So for me, my educational background, my degrees are in predominantly in history. And I've spent too much time reading heavily factual footnoted books. So if I'm mm -hmm. going to read something for pleasure, I want it to be more interesting. I want to hear the voice of the characters in it whether they're real or fictional and really have that kind of shine through and hear about their experiences and what it was like to live the lives that they've led and so for me that that's just so much more interesting than reading a straight up biography i i, I enjoy both formats i really love oral histories though and and the thing that i love about it is when you have different speakers talking about a particular thing from a different angle or they have a different perception of it or they have, in, in some cases, contradictory information about it. And I find that really interesting because it, it can either, it either calls into question the sort of accepted narrative about what happened and, and you know, who it happened to and that kind of thing. But it also sort of illuminates the, 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 the points, I think. 
um, where it, it becomes like a bigger picture when you get these different perspectives. So the thing, you know, about a single author telling a, whether it be a bio or an analysis or something like that, is that you, you get one perspective. And I like having the multiple perspectives. Moving on to the next aspect of, of, of talking about books and music, you know, we've all been inside our homes for the better part of two years. And I cannot even begin to say outside of watching TV, how many books I've read. And like Anthony, I'm a history guy. So I, I can only read so many books about the Norman conquest or D-Day. So, you know, having music books is, is, was really a great relief for me. And I was really relieved that there were so many across so many different genres that um, it really worked out well, that I could always sort of find some sort of music-related book to read. Can you guys sort of talk about reading books on music during the pandemic? Did you do it? Did you not do it? Am I on an island here of just reading all these books on music during all, during all this time? I, I kind of read in two genres. I read uh, either about music or about comedy. Uh, and I don't stray outside that. I get. I mean, there's a lot of choice. <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm stuck for choice. Um, actually, I mean, the, the, I, I saw this pandemic question, and the, the one that I read during pandemic isn't actually music related. I hope that's allowable. No, that's totally fine. Uh, everyone loves David Sedaris, um, but I read his first volume of biographies during pandemic, and oh my god, I love them so much. Um, <laughs> by finding, they're called. I've just read the yeah. second volume. He, he, he kind of annoys me that he's so successful because all the jeopardy's gone. Because um, his his life in volume one is is quite unbelievably poverty ridden and drug ha drug habits and what have you. Yeah. So um, yeah, that really propped me up during um, during the pandemic. Hmm. I you never know, have read any Sedaris books, and and I've always uh, I've I worked at a bookstore for a million years, and <laughs> people buy them in truckloads, and I know it's something I need to read. Yeah. So the, I will I will jump in at some point. I will too. That's the boat I'm in, having worked in you know, bookstores and libraries, I see people get them and it's so much, so much, it's, it's almost like there's so much saturation with it that you're like, I'm sick of looking at this. I'm not going to read it because I see it every day. Like the Christmas book, when I worked at a bookstore that we sold like 50 copies of that friggin' thing every day, mm -hmm. it was to the point where like, if I opened one more box of it, I was going to, I was going to scream. But uh, yeah, I think that reading during the pandemic is, is great and going in different directions is also cool too. So Anthony, what about you? I was going to say, I think the pandemics impacted us all in different ways. And through the early days, I, I changed roles at my day job about nine months ago. But through the early part of the pandemic, my day job was extremely demanding and I hit burnout and I completely lost the desire to read anything, which is weird. Like Rob and Alan, I've worked in bookshops. I've worked in libraries before ending up in, in a corporate career. And so to not feel the urge to read and to not feel the joy in reading was very, very strange to me. Um, whether it was fiction, whether it was nonfiction, I, I tried both and there was just, it felt like a slog. So I haven't really read much lately and it That's kind okay. of pains me to say that because reading has been a passion of mine for basically, you know, since the age of six. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a bit of the opposite. I didn't want to listen to... A ton of new music. I was just like, I got so tired of listening to records. I turned to reading, uh, which is like sort of a, a flip on what was going on with you. And it was just kind of like, I'm going to read about stuff I don't know about or move into realms I don't know about. And 
that sort of plugged me back into listening to records, um, which is great because I was just listening to old stuff over and over again. I know Nick and I talk about this all the time, but one of the bands that I really love is the Wooden Tops. And I basically spent the better part of the first month of the pandemic just listening to the Wooden Tops and Aztec Camera Catalog. And then I just kind of fell into this funk where I was listening to like older records and I wasn't listening to anything new. And I just got tired of it. And I'm like, I'm going to start reading. And I just started finding books about jazz and classical and different other things I, I didn't know about to learn. And that's kind of how I did it. Nick, you had, you'd mentioned talking about our favorite books that we've read, uh, either during the pandemic or about music. Do you want to jump in and, and lead this? <laughs> the way my memory is pretty poor. I, um, I, I once read an um, Ozzy Osbourne biography. And I got to about page 300 and I realized I'd read it before. <laughs> so I was three quarters of the way through the book and I finally clicked on read it before. So <laughs> there's books that I read, a, a, you know, a couple of years ago or more that I've sadly forgotten about. So I can only really talk about the ones in recent history. And um, there's a couple that I just think are absolutely magnificent. The one that really stood out for me and stunned me uh, was Moby's and then it fell apart. I'm not a massive Moby fan. You know, everyone's bought play, but you know, I like that kind of electronic stuff. So I thought I'd give it a shot. I mean, talking about brutal honesty, wow, there's some stories in that book are hair turning. <laughs> and he's also a great writer, and his story's incredibly entertaining. So you know, he, he kind of ticked all my boxes. That that book is magnificent. I I, I then read the the precursor to that. So the then it fell apart. It's kind of him on the way down, <laughs> from quite a lofty height, to be fair. Uh, and Porcelain's the, on the way up, and Porcelain just wasn't anywhere near as good because, again, that that kind of there was that jeopardy in there that really kind of you know drags you through a book. Mm -hmm. And the I've, other heard, one, I've heard a lot of great things about that book. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's probably yeah. my favorite music book of all time. Wow! And the other wow. one that I loved was um, I my my wife bought me for Christmas um, a slightly worthy and heavy tome uh, about Nico about who about whom I'm quite fascinated. You know, we all, we all have a bit of Velvet Underground. And it was, yeah, it was a little bit dry. It was, it was a bit worthy. Um, it was, you know, I finished it. But then within that book, she mentioned this book by this guy called James Young, uh, Songs They Never Play on the Radio. Um, mm. So I thought I'll have a go at that and see if it's more entertaining. Oh, my word, it was. <laughs> it's quite a thin book, but this, this he was the, um, her keyboard player on tour. And he also lived with her in Manchester, um, the, 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 the big biography I read before was kind of re, reclaim her from that sort of junky image, which, you know, is, is fair enough. Uh, and I wouldn't say this kind of throws you back into the junky thing, but, I mean, the, the, the tales in that book, again, like the Moby one, are quite unbelievable at times. He still has massive affection for her. And he's also really, he has no business being such an excellent writer given that he plays keyboards. Um, so those are the two I would recommend hugely. Alan, you want to go next? Um, let's see. Uh, okay. So when you're talking about brutal honesty and book that maybe gives you revelations that you were never aware of before, that's something that I enjoy reading. And I got to say, one of the ones that really kind of caught me by surprise was Beat of My Own Drum by Sheila E. That was really surprisingly good. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Sheila fan anyway, because I'm a drummer and percussionist and, you know, I, I go in for all of the drummers and stuff, but, uh, Man, it was so good. She talked 
I think for the pretty much the first time publicly ever about the the rape situation that she went through when she was a young kid and how that affected everything in her life. And it was it was really, really honest. And I was really shocked by it. But, uh, you know, you think of her as the prince protege and the, you know, the couple of hits that she had in the 80s. But she's had an incredible career and had toured the world a few times before even any of that stuff happened. You know, so it was it was a really, really revelatory read. I enjoyed it a lot. I have a few, um, both fiction yeah. and not nonfiction. So I already talked about Daisy Jones and the Six, but I, I do want to give another shout out to that because it, it's one I just couldn't put down. I mean, literally the only reason I put it down was because I knew I had to get up for work the next day and needed to get some sleep. Um, otherwise, I probably would have read the entire thing in a night. Um, the other fictional one, it's been a few years, but I really, really enjoyed Ben Elton's High Society, which mm. for the most part, and it's not really a book about music, but a pop star plays a central role in it. I mean, it's all about mm -hmm. a a politician's campaign to decriminalize all drugs and one of the main characters is is basically a a robbie williams knockoff who you know is one of the most famous pop stars in in the world but heavily heavily dependent on drugs um very very entertaining ben elton's humor is always you know it's it's dark it's cynical it's i it's right up my street i mean i guess it's very british in in its humor <laughs> In terms of nonfiction, I mean, I, I've already mentioned Glenn Hughes's autobiography that, it, again, it's it's so honest and he pulls no punches with his own addictions, um, as well as kind of reading about the way that Deep Purple Mark IV fell apart was fascinating as well, because, hmm. again, he's brutally honest about that and, and the impact that his and tommy boland's addiction had on the band and that disastrous final tour where apparently at the end of it david coverdale went to ian pace and said i i can't do this anymore i'm leaving the band and the response was there's no band left for you to leave <laughs> i mean it, it's really really eye-opening to just read through all of that the other one that i really enjoy from a non-fiction perspective is nick mason's inside out a pink floyd book Again, he's he keeps it focused on the band. It's not a story of sex and drugs and rock and roll. And he's honest, but he's not backstabby. So he talks a lot about the situation with Sid Barrett and, and later with Roger Waters. But he does it in a tactful way where he tells the story, but he's not bitchy, I guess is the best way of putting it. Interesting. Um, so reading about the band from his perspective is fascinating, and I highly recommend that too you know that makes me think of one and and nick let me know if you've if you've read this and i don't remember the title of it uh it was i've read quite a few bowie biographies and there was one that i thoroughly did not enjoy and that was it was written by a, a, a woman called wendy lee mm -hmm. and it was it was a it was a true biography where it didn't when I read a book, I want, I really want more about the music, you know, about the career, about how the music was put together, about how, if you're going to delve into life experiences, how that affected the music. Um, and, and a little bit less about the, you know, I grew up in, you know, wherever I grew up and all that kind of stuff. Um, but she, she sort of did an overview of Bowie's career, but her focus was all on 
anything that she saw was controversial. Like it, it didn't really go into the music so much. And it just, it just read like it was a tabloid headline, the whole book. And halfway through, I just, I, I got so tired of it. I just put mm -hmm. it away because I can, you know, I can, I can read that stuff anywhere. And I don't want a book that focuses on all of that. So I just basically it so boring. So basically it's a book of clickbait. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Which sadly we're seeing a whole lot more of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the books they're writing now about like, like contemporary pop stars is all clickbait stuff. It's not, it's almost like the art of writing a narrative story about a creative who's making music is, is going, which is kind of sad. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever you see like a biography of someone who's, you know, only been making music for the last two or three years, but obviously is selling squillions of records, you think, I mean, it's just a lot of pictures really, isn't it? <laughs> right. Undermining yes. the whole idea of music books. They should all be trash. But, you know, there's publishers out there that, that they see not words, but, but cash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, in all honesty, that, that, that's only coming about because there's clearly a market for it, mm -hmm. um, which I think says some right. unfortunate things about the human psyche that we are willing to read a biography of someone whose career has spanned all of three years. Exactly. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I, I want to read, you know, the long, the long game, basically. Yeah. Right. I couldn't care less about, I don't know, someone from Little Mix who is younger than me. I mean, that's <laughs> of no interest to me. <laughs> One of my favorite ones that sort of mixes a couple of things that we've been talking about. Anybody who's listened to pretty much any episode of our show knows that I'm a big heart fan. And a few years ago, there was a book and uh, by a guy called Jake Brown, and it was Heart in the Studio. And it was a it was basically an oral history. And it was the band members and the producers and that kind of stuff just talking about how the albums were made and how the songs were written and it didn't delve into a lot of the biographical stuff and i found it amazing i mean that's the kind of stuff that i really love to read you know just talking about like the discussions between changing something from a minor chord to a major chord and you know i just i just nerd out about that kind of stuff so that was one that i really enjoyed yeah i um you know when we talk about fiction i guess the two big things I jump on is High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. Oh, yeah, um, true. Which I have a horrible distinction of being a Rob that worked at a record store that dated a girl named Laura who gave me the book when it came out. And then uh, also Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami, who a lot of his books have music in it, a lot of jazz, but he has music as kind of a theme in a lot of his stuff. Those are the two that I kind of, I know that I'm going to get some sort of music in their books, and I'm okay with that. Outside of that, I don't necessarily want it to be heavy-handed. Now, Rob Sheffield did a book called Talking to Girls about Duran Duran that was great. You know, I want something like that <laughs> if it's clever. But I don't really, I don't necessarily seek out fiction that's on it. One of the things I loved when I discovered the Sandman books is how much they were entrenched in, in music. And I remember reading Sandman going, I think there's another person who likes David Bowie, which for me at the time was like, this is great, right? Um, so I like it more in that type of stuff. I think the other thing that I love about music books is that now they're transcending genres. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a um, graphic novel based on Bell and Sebastian uh, songs where each each song scored like a little story in the comic. And then now there's the um, 
uh, Stardust, Ray Guns, Moon Age Daydream. That's it. It's a long right. friggin' title. And there's going to be a sequel, but it was like a graphic novel about David mm-hmm. Bowie. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. I think Alan and I, you and, t- you and I talked about how great that was. But I really loved that. In terms of candor, if you're looking for a, cu- a couple recent things, that Chris Franz book on Talking Heads, Remain in Light, mm-hmm. it does not hold any punches about David Byrne and the <laughs> dynamics of Talking Head with David Byrne. Right. And you get the dynamics of New York of that time. So you get the Ramones, you get Lou Reed, you get, you know, you do, you get an unfettered version of Lou Reed and David Byrne. And it is an interesting book because of the candor of it and the honest of it is very sincere, but it doesn't sound bitchy, which I love. And he also says, oh, you know, it's sort of like, well, this day, this date and this day, you know is when these things happen because he kept notes in real time about all the stuff. So it's terrific. And then I just, I just finished the uh, Will Sargent book uh, called Bunny Man about Echo and the Bunnyman. We can save this for a later, later podcast on people that you like, but then you've met. Um, I will say that when Will Sargent was on my show, he was charming. He was great. And he was awesome. I cannot say that about Ian McCulloch, um, sadly, but I still love Echo and the Bunnyman anyway. But his book is very honest and very upfront and very to the point as well. And then um, record, play, pause. The Stephen Morris book on on New Order and Joy Division was was kind of just what I wanted because you have the Peter Hook books and the Bernard Sumner book, and they're both very much honest. And, well, they are both uh, very candid about their opinions of other people, but I'm not sure how fact based they are. And Morris's book is kind of in between. So I think if I have to get a narrative about what was it like to be in Joy Division and New Order and deal with these two giant egos, I think his is kind of like squarely in the center. Um, so that's really good, um, just in terms of that. And then, you know, going off the map, one of the books I really enjoyed uh, lately the, is a book called Music by Max Steiner by a guy named Stephen Smith who writes about film scores and film soundtracks. And it's all about Max Steiner, who did, you know, the music for Casablanca and uh, King Kong, you know, and just hearing about musical scores and soundtracks in the 30s and 40s is pretty great. I did really like that a lot. And um, I know you mentioned Dylan Jones, but his new romantics books, which is great, which I think you made, I think has been made into some televised thing. And um, this is the this is the anniversary. When, when we're doing this, it's the anniversary of the birth of Tony Wilson. So I'm, I'm plowing through Paul Morley's from Manchester which, with love, which is great. Um, One because, does plow through to attend Paul Morley. Yeah, I love Paul Morley, but it's, you know, it takes a while. Um, and it's, it's a really good overview of Manchester at the time and Tony Wilson and sort of the intricacies of running a label and what you get into, which I, which I really liked as well. Actually, can I, I've just thought of another Yeah, comment. no, jump in. Yeah, uh, jump in. Um, I mean, I've, I've read all the three of the Peter Hook books, mm-hmm. um, and there is a bit of a crossover. I, I, I'm not a massive New Order fan, actually. I love Joy Division, um, but I think he's a very good author. He's not a brilliant writer, but he's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. He knows, he knows, you know, kind of just playing the anecdotes in and don't whiffle on too much. Um, uh, another one that I absolutely love, uh, Q Magazine, which is now sadly defunct, had yeah. a Who the Hell feature. Every yeah, sure. uh, every month, and uh, they were collected in a book called Q. Who the hell? Uh, by, by Tom Hibbert. Um, you probably need to get it on on a book. So I, I expect it's out of print. But oh my god, that's wonderful. I mean, most of those 
um, his interview subjects are music-based, but he also yeah. does, I mean, Thatcher and Jimmy Savile and uh, people like mm. that. Um, that's that's extremely um, amusing. I do love to be made to laugh. Um, and the other, actually, I, when I worked on um, Sounds and Select, I worked with a guy called David Kavanagh, who was a bit of a hero of mine. Wow, I mean, that, that there's nothing that guy didn't know about music, and he also wrote extremely entertainingly. Uh, he could make me howl with laughter. Um, he sadly died a couple of years ago, but he's written a couple of fantastic books. Um, uh, Creation Records, My Magpie Eyes Are Something for the Prize, mm -hmm. um, which is a really dense tome on Creation Records, yet somehow it's he doesn't kind of overdo it. It's, it's incredibly readable. But his book on John Peel is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, when I was prepping for this, I was frightened that I had 19 books on John Peel. <laughs> I own a pair of his headphones, but um, wow. yeah. It's one of those books that I was, when I finished it, I thought, ah, oh, I, was, I was gutted when it was over. Yeah. Which is always a sign of a great book. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the good mark, too, is you learn something. Even if you love the artist, you still read something and you learn something about it. But I also love, too, uh, in a good music book that you sort of get some sense of the times and, you know, where their mindset was when they were creating. I love those kind of th stories, too. I know um, in our previous podcast, I think, Alan, we had talked about nothing but a good time. Yeah, that was and one I'm about to start. I I, I cannot but... recommend it more. I know nothing going in. I knew nothing about metal, hair metal in the 80s, um, except for what I saw on MTV and, and in smash right. hits and, you know, stuff like that, or what I sold at the record store, you know? Right. Um, but it's a, it's a really great, great sort of narrative of that time that hasn't been done. And mm -hmm. I loved I love discovering stuff you know, that I know nothing about and being, being sucked in. And I think that's the mark of a really good writer too, mm -hmm. is that somebody who knows nothing about that era can really yeah. read it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that because, you know, that was, that was one of my scenes back in the day. I can't wait to to dig into that. And that, that reminds me of one that I just finished reading. It's by uh, Mark Myers and it's called Rock Concert. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, it, it tracks from sort of the beginning of, uh, the, the phenomenon of rock concerts in the fifties and it goes up through live aid in 1985. And it just talks about um, the different ways that concerts came about and how mm -hmm. uh, different genres pushed uh, concerts into different ways. And it talks, it is a, a oral history and it talks to some really interesting people like the lady who designed um, David Burns oversized suits and the the guy the artist who created the characters that became the inflatable pieces that were used in pink floyd's the wall tour and the detail in how the wall was put together like that whole show blew my mind like the technical challenges that were brought about by them having a huge wall constructed and like it builds up during the show and then all comes crumbling down at the end and how they had to make that happen. It was really, really interesting, but it's, it's, it was really cool that it goes from sort of the, the R and B review shows in the fifties and goes up through this two cross continental, two massive stage shows that are going simultaneously at live aid. And it was, it was really, really an interesting read. I learned a lot from it. Yeah. And outside of post-punk, I love this, uh, arcane at least for america uh period of music called the like the whole c86 movement 
And uh, one of the nice things about the pandemic is I sort of stumbled across this book called C86 and all that by Neil Taylor. And the guy, I think, has every band flyer and poster of a C86 band ever created. But, like, there's stuff in there that is just amazing about, like, all these crazy, like, hole-in-the-wall bands that uh, are pretty great. And I really love that. It's it's huge and it's immense. I can't not go back and reread it, which I think is is really great. So moving onward, um, Anthony, do you have any one ahead before we jump on? No, I feel like you guys have been really, really detailed here, and I'm just sitting here like dum de dum de dum. So well, no, please okay. let's let's move forward. Well, this is this is your moment because I know there's one book coming out you're excited about, and I, I I wanted to sort of use you as my as my jumping off point. Um, what is the next music book you think you're going to read or one that's coming out that you're excited about? So it's probably not going to be the next one I'm going to read because there's been enough uh, talked about on this show that's inspired <laughs> me to go and actually buy a few of these and yeah. uh, and actually read them. But um, coming out later this year, Stephen Wilson is releasing his limited edition of one book, which is a little bit of an autobiography, but also kind of explores a few other things um, as well. I think it's going to be really interesting. Anyone who listens to the show regularly knows what I what a fan I am of Stephen Wilson, um, both his solo work, his work with Porcupine Tree, as well as his production work, and how he's effectively been, for want of a better term, an accidental rock star. I think uh, one of the British newspapers once referred to him as the most successful artist you've never heard of, uh, which I thought was really, really appropriate. So it's going to be really interesting to read his um, perspective on the industry, what it was like coming up uh, in the scene through Porcupine Tree, which wasn't even meant to be a serious band to begin with. It was a joke band that somehow became big. And what I think is going to be interesting about it is it's co-written with um, with Mick Wall. So knowing how popular something like The Dirt was, it's, it's going to be interesting to see that kind of spin on the life of someone who candidly has been a bit more boring than that entire scene. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited to see, you know, how they spin it, um, what kind of weird situations he's got himself into um, and what it's been like working with so many of the greats while you know, being kind of popular, but also unrecognized at the same time. That that makes me think of the Pat Benatar uh, biography, autobiography, I should say, because she is, uh, there is absolutely no sex and drugs in that book. You know, there's no big conspiracies or there's no big like, uh, you know, I mean, she's she was pretty squeaky clean record going into the studio to record her first album she met the man that she ended up marrying so there was no like sex scandals or anything but it was still a good book somehow <laughs> yeah i need to read that i keep remind me alan All if right. i don't if, you know when i see you in in on september you know say did yeah. you read the pat benatar book make it a point to remind me of that because it's something i keep trying to get to i, I will not remember that an hour from now much but less by me asking in september you, but by me asking you to remind me i'll remember Okay. Okay. Sounds good. That's the plan. Yeah. Nick, do you have anything? Um, Everyone keeps talking. It kind of just reminds me of another book that I've forgotten. Patty Smith's Just Kids book is is brilliant. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's that old memory thing. (laughs) I mean, I, I read music books like you, Rob, to kind of to learn stuff. But then I get to the end of it. I forgot the title of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what was in it. 
Um, but um, there's, again, my memory's going to be uh, off here. There's a guy called Chris something who writes these Bowie books that are set within one specific year. And I think I've got 1969. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and it's an incredible way of doing it. It's kind of like a diary of the year. And I don't know how he has tracked down the level of detail of what Bowie got up to. But he also kind of writes in this prose style that brings it all to life. It's extremely clever. I mean, he goes over the top slightly. It's a little bit dense. Um, but that, that, that book was absolutely brilliant. Um, and he, I, I see that um, 1970 is available. So I'll Ooh. be getting that, definitely. I'm not familiar with this. I've got to find this. Yeah, I, I wish my, my... Yeah, if you look up 1970, I'm pretty sure it's called, and Chris, someone. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's an excellent writer. Yeah, hmm. I'm curious about this now. So is he doing them piecemeal or is he going in chronological order? I suspect he's going chron chronological order, which is, I mean, you, okay. know, it seems that, you know, any author wants a kind of series of books and he's got a lot of years to go. So he, he could, I mean, he might have run out of steam by 2016. But um... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if maybe he had already put out an 85 or a 92 or something and no, I think it's. Okay. No, I saw six nine, then I saw seventy fairly recently. So I think it's going to okay. go one by one. Excellent. I love that. Uh, I got one one question for Nick. Uh, something that I'm really in, uh, intrigued by with your uh, with your new book is that you put together a Spotify playlist to go along with it, and I'm interested to know how you sort of like uh, curated that list and what your criteria was and why more music books don't do that yeah i mean that's a good question i, I don't know why music books don't do that it's, it's uh th th my criteria was was simply if it gets mentioned in the book it went on there so i think the you know the very first thing that's mentioned is the beatles so, so they go on there even though it's a kind of essentially a post-punk punk post-punk post playlist it, you know in this we're kind of so stuck in the idea that you know the, the fusty old traditional book world should just be dust and what have you you know what right why you wouldn't do a spotify playlist to go with a book i don't know because it would be you know wonderful <laughs> yeah. but lots of people have read it and said um you know that, that they've actually gone on to spotify and, and played songs themselves because it's made them think oh i remember that song Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great playlist. I, I was just looking over it today. Uh, and it's, I mean, it really captures a scene and an era and I'm, I'm excited to, to play it myself. I'm looking forward to just yeah, putting it on, on random and just having it play. I'm, I'm, I think it's a great list. I mean, yeah. I was looking through it earlier and going through that, basically that evolution from glam to punk to post punk yeah. with a little bit of kraut rock sprinkled in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I'm gonna go and do some yard work this afternoon, and I'm going to 100% be listening to that playlist while I'm pulling out weeds. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, and the, the other the thing soundtrack that... to weeding. There's a recommendation. Got to make those tedious tasks less tedious somehow. <laughs> right. Exactly. And the thing I like about it too, Nick, is that. You know, with other people, you know, with with other folks, like I know Simon Reynolds did a rip it up and start again, but he did a CD, and that's not quite the same thing because I think you're limited to a finite number of songs, and you've got somebody kind of telling you, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. But with a Spotify playlist, you can sort of not only pick whatever the songs are you want, but you also have, and this is the important thing that I love, pick the order they go in. 
because I think that's yeah. sort of, and again, this gets into the whole old man mixtape thing. Uh, but I think putting the songs in the right order is, is important. And that's why I think that playlist is pretty cool. Yeah. So I guess the next question is, when's the second playlist coming? Well, I'm, I have got, again, you know, what's your next book going to be? Um, that, that was the next question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of, I guess that ties into this. Um, I, I think, I don't I don't know, I could do another Dead Star. I mean, I've kind of already mined um, all my new wave, new romantic loves and what have you but there is um there's there's actually a book mentioned within dead star that's this crap north london gangster who writes his own well he, he gets a ghost written biography called um heads shoulders kneecaps and toes so i thought <laughs> so i'm gonna write heads shoulders kneecaps and toes next uh, featuring an oral history of a bunch of useless gangsters which would be quite good fun they might i might be able to come up with some sort of playlist for it nice that's fantastic. Nice. Um, I've got a couple things. Uh, I'm excited about the new Jarvis Cocker book coming. I think that's going to be cool. And uh, I just got the Michael Bracewell souvenir book, which is painfully thin, but it's all about London, London music scene of, of, the, of the early and mid 80s, um, which is going to be pretty great. I started in on the Tim Burgess books from the Charlatans, who writes a book like all the time. Um, his listening party book is great. Um, I finished telling stories, but I got his book now where he basically talks about going record shopping in different cities and the records that he bought and why. So people that are weird like me will find this incredibly fascinating. So I'm looking forward to that. But the, the two things I'm jumping into is I'm seeing Craftwork uh, this year. And there's a Craftwork book that just came out called Future Music from Germany. And I saw it at the store the other day. I was like, oh, I need to get that. But I'm like, I've got enough. Wait. And I'll get to it. And I'm reading Dead Star, so I can't really read a book about craft work till I finish that. Um, so that's important. And then, um, you know, the other thing is being weird with my musical taste. There's a book by Carl Whitney called Hit Factories, and it is a journey through the industrial cities of British pop. You know, when I go to England and, and travel, it's always kind of weird. I'm to the point now where it's not musical based anymore. Um, but it's like, okay. You know, you've got all these cities with different scenes. Let's go check them out. And this this goes through mm -hmm. like, what's the scene in Liverpool? What's the scene in Sheffield? What's the scene in hmm. you know? And um, it's really fascinating because you get a cultural history and you get sort of a musical history as well. Because originally, you know, Amer a lot of Americans that really got turned on to British new wave and post punk in the '80s, it was sort of like, well, these this band is from the same town as Echo on the Bonnie. So then you're instantly intrigued. So it kind of plays off of that. So I'm looking forward to, to that as well. I think there's a Brian Ferry book coming out, but I don't know if it is a book of lyrics or if it's a actual full-on memoir. But I, I'd like I'd like to read that too if, if he's got one. You know, I was I was I don't know what just made me think of this, but I realized there is a fiction, a, a novel that's sort of like music-based that I should talk about. And I don't know why it never occurred to me before this moment, but that is, and especially since we have Nick here, who's, you know, we've all got the, that Doctor Who connection, is uh, Andrew Cartmel's series, mm -hmm. Final Detective. Cartmel is a, is a, a big uh, blues and jazz fan and, and a serious record collector. And he turned that into a, a, a series of books about a guy who solves mysteries. And man, it is so fun. And I, I should have thought about that when we first talked about fiction and I, it didn't even occur to me, but so there it is. I highly recommend those books to anybody who 
is interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I know we talked about that last week too, and we, I'm glad you brought that up. So, yeah. Does anybody have any any final thoughts or thing, there's things they want to mention? I have one question for Nick. So in Dead Star, I know um, the main character's career basically comes to the, comes to an end with a disastrous festival performance. I'm wondering if there was any inspiration from the movie Still Crazy on that. Yeah. I know you've mentioned Spinal Tap as an influence, but no, I, I mean. Because uh, that's got um, Bruce Robinson in it, who directed mm-hmm. and wrote with Now Nice, so it's therefore a living god. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, um, no, I did watch Still Crazy, you know, when it came out. Um, it's not that brilliant, really. Um, I can't remember where the Glastonbury thing came from. I, I, I knew I had to sort of get rid of my main character at some stage. <laughs> and hilariously, as I was plotting it. He started off dying, I think, in... Uh, sorry, no, well, I don't want to give anything away. He started off disappearing in sort of 82. And then I realised I needed to, uh, to put a lot more in. And Glastonbury kept going further and further back. But I knew I needed a mud bath. So I think it was only two years that it could have been. It was, I think, 84 or 85. <laughs> <laughs> so the festival moved just so I could put some more stuff in before it. Um, so, no, that, that wasn't... But, I mean, I would say that the, the, it's kind of the book distills an awful lot of music books that I've read. You know, a lot of it has, has a, a, a basis in, in someone who actually existed. Like, for example, Speed of Life, Garth Tyson's band, um, start getting dressed in pantaloons and, uh, and frilly shirts and hate it. And that, you know, that's talk, talk, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Garth Tyson ends up with a, a big acid habit. That's Julian Cope. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's lots of stuff you can see where, it's inspired by rather than stolen yeah. from. <laughs> right. Actually, okay. I've got a question for you, Anthony. The, the Glenn Hughes book, I'm not a big rock kind of person, but I mean, I have I've read quite a few books on it. But he was a massive um, friend of David Bowie's. In Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, in fact, when they kind of parted company, because Bowie associated Glenn Hughes so much with his old terrible cocaine addiction yeah he broke off friendship but they have been massive friends is there is there a big bowie section in that yeah and he actually talks a lot about angie um oh really i think he and i mean you know it was that time where everyone was sleeping with everyone and glenn and angie definitely had uh, an affair that glenn is pretty open about in it um but he talks a lot about certainly in those kind of last years with deep purple before that all fell apart um, his friendship with Bowie. Yeah, there's a, there's a decent amount of that in there. That was quite eye-opening for me because when I first read that when it came out 11 or so years ago and I was younger and fresher-faced and far less cynical, um, some of that I was reading going, oh, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, def- definitely a, a good chunk on Bowie in there. Nick, I assume that you are, or ha- at least have, attended Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, what are some of your Glastonbury highlights that you that really stand out as like great performances, <laughs> or or bad performances? I want to hear the the what you thought were awful ones too. <laughs> uh, no, the, the the trouble is when you get to Glastonbury, you get this booklet that's got about a thousand bands in it, and you go through it in all yeah. in uh, you're thinking I'm going to see this band, this band, this band, this band, and uh, you've got the packed schedule, and and then you go to the bar. <laughs> and, then, and then you think, oh, I've missed X, and then you just, um, I, I missed Radiohead. The, the the performance they said was brilliant because I was having a beer. I mean, for Christ's sake! Um, <laughs> like, 
my 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 abiding memory of Glastonbury um, was when REM headlined because I'm a huge REM fan. Oh, oh then cool. You, then you, you need to talk to my wife then. Oh man, I I, I adore REM. I've seen them loads and loads of times. But uh -huh. um, you know, Michael Stipe can sure hold a stage. Um, oh, that's the truth. So, yeah, so they, wow. they were absolutely fantastic. I was also I was in the front row of Live Aid. We no way. Yeah, yeah. I was, oh. I, was saving, I was saving that for you, Alan. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Because I remember who told me about that. This is great. So we camped out overnight before. In fact, I don't think we even slept. I think we just because we were young at the time. <laughs> um, so we just kind of sat on the steps outside Wembley Stadium, and then they opened the doors, and the stage was right at the other end of Wembley Stadium, and they covered it in blue tarp. And I just remember kind of running towards the stage, but not wanting to run too self too consciously so i kind of half ran i don't know what that was about <laughs> i don't want anyone to think i'm an idiot and running too fast so i got to near the front of the stage wow. but then as the day were on it was boiling hot i've got this kind yeah. of draw trilby with a with a red band very sort of cod duran duran and um i got obviously loads of hairspray in it being 1984 and uh, the sun was beating down and the uh, the security was spraying you with water so i've got I've got hairspray stinging my eyes, red dye coming down. <laughs> <laughs> and event, but eventually I made it, because obviously Bowie was playing at Live Aid. Um, yes. And I made it to the front um, before he got on. And actually, I, I, I never liked Queen, but by God, they were good. I know. Oh my, yeah. yeah. But then, of course, hilariously, the, the stage is really tall. Yep. You know, it's up there somewhere. So unless Bowie sort of popped his head over the front, I can actually see. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered about that. It looks like it was really tall, and the people who were up front, I don't know how they saw anything. No, all I can tell you is I, I was in the front row of Lightway, which sounds brilliant, but I didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I would leave that part of the story out, Nick. Just <laughs> I was in the front, front row of Live Aid, and I've given yeah. it, it's too late now. I've watched I, I watched the whole thing on television as it happened. And then when they finally released the DVD set, I have watched that probably a hundred times. Uh, uh, look, if there's, there's a couple of Queen songs. I remember telling my friends before we went in, I hate Queen. They're so naff. <laughs> and there's a couple of scenes where the camera's pointing down to the front of the stage. And you can see me giving it all that. <laughs> nice. I was going to ask you if you were visible in any of the footage, and I'm going to go look yeah. for that now. Yeah, look, look for the ridiculous trilby with the red hat. With red <laughs> Will do. Nick, I wanted to ask you uh, where people could find you and sort of talk about the website a little bit more, but we've covered that. Uh, but talk about the website uh, and where else people can find you on online if they want to learn uh, about the book and all your books and your writings and, and such things. Cool, thank you. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram as Nick Griffiths Author. I'm on Facebook as Nick Griffiths Author, and I'm on Twitter as Nick G underscore Author because you can't get as many characters. And right. I've got <laughs> really useful. I mean, brand awareness goes out the window. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've got a website, nickgriffiths.co.uk, and uh, yeah, there's a ton of stuff on there, including my old back catalogue <laughs> and the playlist that you mentioned. And the contest that we mentioned. And yes. the contest, yeah, and and a link to to listen to um, to Speed of Life. Uh, yeah, the song is really cool. I listened to it today, and I, I really liked it. <laughs> well, it was amazing. It just, just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and But, I mean, Mel Garside, who, who well, basically did everything. I mean, I, I, I just sang ineptly, um, did a fantastic job on it. So, uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with it.
Awesome. Will there be a 12 inch single? No, I can't afford to get them pressed, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being our very first guest. We really appreciate it. And thanks for fitting this into your time with the weather being crazy and, you know, transatlantic communication and, and such things. And no, it's uh, brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. And, and now, I've now also got a massive list of books I've got to buy at Glenn Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for that. I've got a huge pile of books I haven't read already. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, it's, but it's the curse that we all have now. Mm, so, right. uh, Alan, do you want to talk about where people can find uh, your stuff uh, as well? Because I know you talked about uh, your, your children's book and such things. We might want to give people some sure. info on that. Cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C, press.com. And I also have another podcast all about Star Trek called Earth Station Trek. And Anthony, you want to talk about your little empire? <laughs> well, as already mentioned, uh, you can find me on the Watches in the Fourth Dimension podcast, uh, watching all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now, uh, currently in 1972. You can find us uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watches4D, and um, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, etc., etc. Just search for Watches in the Fourth Dimension. And uh, I'm available for the Weekend Justice podcast uh, through needcoffee.com, also writing for needcoffee.com, and uh, my radio show on KDHX, which is streaming online at kdhx.org. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, giving us your time today, and thanks for Nick uh, showing up. And um, Alan, what is our next topic that we're doing? Uh, next week, we're talking about concept albums. Woohoo! Very excited about that. Lots cool. of good stuff to delve into there. And uh, again, thank you for uh, listening and, you know, like the podcast on all the little buttons you're allowed to click on and like it. And uh, yeah, spread the word. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.